Hello, everyone. You're listening to ACC Chicago's podcast, It's All Hearsay, a podcast where lawyers give current news, practical tips, and real stories on legal issues relevant to in-house attorneys. My name is Chantal Kazai, and I'm in-house as Director and Senior Counsel of Litigation with Discover, and I'm your host. This episode is brought to you by ACC Chicago and Littler, one of our sponsors. A quick disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to and does not constitute legal advice. It is for informational purposes only. Listeners are encouraged to contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter discussed in this episode. And visit us at www.acc.com forward slash Chicago to learn more about, like, comment, or subscribe to ACC Chicago and It's All Hearsay. So let's get started. In this episode, we're proud to present the recent union surge, myth or reality. In a moment, you'll hear Catherine Siegel and David Radelet, shareholders in Littler Chicago office. They will discuss how the media reports in the past year suggest that unions are making substantial inroads in organizing new industries and are drawing heightened support from workers. Catherine and David pose the question, but are they really? Join us to learn more about these important developments. Welcome. My name is Catherine Siegel. I'm a shareholder in the Chicago office of Littler Mendelssohn, and I'm here with my colleague David Radelet, also a shareholder in the Chicago Littler office. We're both core group members of Littler's traditional labor practice group, here to talk to you today about some of the current issues with union organizing. David, jumping right in. It's hard to ignore that unions are really in the headlines in the last year or so. What is this, a union comeback, or is this just a perception because it's in the news all the time? Yeah, Kat, I mean, it is in the news all the time. We see it everywhere. But it's a really difficult question as to whether or not this is just perception or whether it's reality. And in fact, there's a lot of information to suggest that it's just a perception. But here's some of the background. Remember that the National Labor Relations Board, which is the government agency that oversees union issues, it swings with the president. And as you would expect, uh, with the current Democratic president uh, in place, the current NLRB and the general counsel are very pro-labor. And in fact, the current general counsel was the deputy general counsel during Obama's uh, term. So there's a, a very definite pro-labor slant to the uh, current NLRB. And they have a current narrative that organized labor is making a comeback. And organized labor, in turn, is sort of taking advantage of that. And they are having some success in getting the news media to carry that narrative, which is partly why we're seeing so much news coverage. And there's no doubt that there's certain statistics recently that sort of support the notion that organized labor is in the middle of a resurgence. So for example, in the first nine months of the current fiscal year, the number of union representation petitions uh, that have been filed with the NLRB as compared with the prior year is up 58%. And that's a very startling figure, right? And also up is the number of unfair labor practice filings 
that have been made this year as compared to a year earlier, those filings are up 16%. So there's some of those statistics, which on the surface suggest that we're seeing a resurgence in union activity. However, if you look a little bit more closely at some of those statistics and some of the information, the evidence of a resurgence in, in union uh, organizing is not so compelling. So for example, if you compare those numbers and those statistics with two years ago or three years ago, in other words, pre-COVID statistics, the numbers this past year are not really terribly different than they have been in the past. Also, the numbers currently are skewed by a few employers who are experiencing a very high number of union organizing uh, campaigns. And then the other factor that enters into this is that many of the petitions that have been filed recently are for basically small groups of workers, 10 or 20 workers, which is very different than the historical trend of unions trying to organize factories where there's 100, 200, 300 workers. So it's a very complex environment right now, but you know the evidence that there is a union resurgence is not clear, and uh, it may be undermined by some of this other information that I'm talking about. Now, Dave, you said that unions are targeting kind of non-traditional units in regards to size. Are there particular industries that they're targeting as well? Yeah, there are. And, you know, there's several things going on there, too. I mean, uh, fundamentally, of course, unions have a pretty high incentive right now to try to organize because unions are a business. They're just like any other business. They make their money by dues paying members. And so growing their membership is the way they make money. So there's a big incentive for unions to do that. But there's no doubt we're seeing employers and industries being unionized in the last two years that are not traditionally targeted by labor unions. We've seen union organizing in the tech industry, restaurants and coffee shops, retailers, you know, it's a new landscape for unions. And so they're looking beyond their traditional factories and call centers and truck drivers. But you also have to keep in mind one very important thing, and that is when union organizing begins to take place in your workplace, in the vast majority of cases, it's the workers who reach out to the union. It's not the union that randomly picks the workplace. And what we're seeing is that in many of these industries, there's a much younger workforce. These are the Gen Z workers. And that's where we're seeing this new, uh, this newest wave of activity. What is it particularly about this Gen Z workforce that has piqued the interest of unions or that is leading them to seek out the unions? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Kat. And, you know, just so we are clear about who we're talking about, Gen Z is the generation that was born between the late 90s and about 2012. And so they're now in their 20s. And they form more than a quarter of the U.S. population. 
And as we all know, they're more racially and ethnically diverse than past generations. Uh, among other things, there have been recent public polls uh, suggesting that as many as 20% of Gen Z identify as LGBTQ. And, you know, this generation lived through the Great Recession. They were younger kids, but they live through it. And they saw their parents struggle during that time. And, and uh, they're also very highly connected uh, on the Internet with each other. So these are some of the things that we're seeing from Gen Z. And of course, maybe most important of all, they were the generation that was most directly affected by COVID. Their experience as young workers in the workplace, they had a lot of disruption to their pay and their hours. They experienced job loss at a much greater rate. And, you know, this makes sense because they worked heavily in the industries that we're talking about, retail, hospitality, healthcare, of course. And, you know, in many cases, they saw themselves called essential and they continued to work through COVID uh, despite the risks to their personal health. And, uh, you know, so in one moment they felt essential, but in the next moment they felt expendable. And I think that work experience has greatly influenced their outlook and their attitude about unions. And remember also that this same generation, while COVID was raging, there was a real upsurge in the social justice movement. And Gen Zers heavily participated in that. This is the generation that leans progressive and you know, their motto, some say, is we, not me. So they are very much inclined to move in that direction. And that mentality, coupled with the frustrations that they experienced in the last two years in the workplace, has made a very fertile ground for unions. The last thing that I'll throw in about Gen Zers is just remember who we're talking about in terms of the experience they've had with unions in their households. And that is not very much because union representation has fallen in recent decades to historically low levels. And so these people are not coming from households that have a lot of union experience. So they don't have those family stories about uh, their mom got fired uh, and the union didn't fight to get her job back or uh, Uncle Steve had to walk the picket line in East Chicago and 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 couldn't buy presents to put under the holiday tree. They don't have those experiences with the negative aspects of unions. So it makes it easier for them to, you know, look through rose-colored glasses and only see the positive potential of unions. So this context that you're talking about, the COVID environment and uh, how that impacted this Gen Z workforce, the unions identified that as an opportunity for them to start to unionize this group. Is that what happened? Yeah, they they have definitely identified it as an opportunity. And, you know, the pitch is pretty clear. They're telling these frustrated employees that unions are the solution. Unions promise that they can provide a better working environment, more focus on safety, better pay and benefits, better work 
life balance. That's another uh, phrase that we've heard a lot about. And so those pitches are falling on very receptive ears. And uh, the other thing they've been doing is they've been communicating with Gen Z workers in the way that Gen Z workers communicate. Unions are using TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, Twitter, and all of those things. And it makes it a very easy connection with unions. It's, it's so easy for workers to connect with unions these days. Um, so much different than it was 20 or 30 years ago where you had to rely on the face-to-face, one-on-one meeting as a means to communicate between workers and union organizers. Now, with a flick of a mouse in, in the comfort of your own home, you can quickly get on union websites. You can quickly get in touch with a union organizer. You can easily learn how to organize a union in your workplace or tactics that you can use. It's all readily available and, and easily accessible. So it really has changed the game and the unions are uh, have definitely identified this as an opportunity. One of the things that surprised me, Dave, is that the companies that the unions are targeting are those that we view as employers of choice, employers that already have great policies and a great working environment. Do you know why this is happening? Yeah, that's a very interesting kind of subplot to what we're seeing. You know, so many of the employers that we're reading about as being, you know, the target of unions are those employers of choice that you're talking about. And it's a difficult situation for those employers because on the one hand, those employers tend to be the ones that employ so many of these Gen Zers, and they've expressed some very progressive policies and uh, communication messages. And so when their workers start to engage in union organizing activity, it presents a pretty challenging balancing act for those employers to react and respond to the union organizing in a way that's consistent with some of these other progressive messages that they've been articulating in the marketplace. So it's a very interesting phenomenon. And again, it's one of the things that uh, we've seen quite a bit of here in the last year or two. So for employers that have high Gen Z or younger millennial populations, what can they do now to better position themselves to respond to what's going on with unions? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And that's really the question of the hour, right? It's what can we do to put ourselves in a better position? And there are several things that, that are sort of on our recommended uh, tick list. One is employers ought to be taking a truly holistic look at their policies and their benefit strategies in consideration of the new workplace demographics that we've been talking about. You know, have they adjusted the way work is performed to respond to the demographic? Is the complaint hotline still a phone number or have they adjusted it to Gen Z kinds of communication vehicles? What benefits are they offering? What are they doing with progression and 
career development and uh, making sure that the older worker uh, knowledge base is transitioned effectively to the younger workplace. So looking at these uh, policies and practices in a holistic way, I think is a very important piece of it. A second thing they can do is training. And training is a huge piece of this. You know, at a very fundamental level, the supervisors and managers in your business really need to understand what is a union? Some of the very basic information. What is a union? How does a union organize your workplace? And for me as a supervisor and manager, what are the do's and don'ts? What are the things I'm allowed to do? What are the things I'm not allowed to do? So training of this nature is a very important piece of an effective strategy. A third uh, suggestion that uh, we offer is, you know, actually make a plan. What are you going to do if union organizing does get traction in your workplace? Who's going to be responsible for what? What are the action plans that are going to be expected? And how are you going to effectively move forward with your plan? It's a very important piece of what you can do now to prepare yourself in your workplace for the potential. But with all of these tactics that can be used, the single most important one that we talk about is to create a work environment where your employees feel valued, they feel respected, they feel listened to, they feel that they're treated fairly. All of those very basic things, if you build a workplace that is based on those kind of values, the chances that your workers will reach out to an outside third-party union for help are greatly reduced. And so we, we talk a lot about what can we do to make sure that we create that work experience for the people who work for us? What can we do to empower our supervisors and managers to create that kind of relationship with the people that work with them and the people that work for them? So those are some of the things that we are working with employers to put into place that put them in a better position to um, experience and withstand this kind of union organizing activity. And at the end of the day, it's really not about unions. It's all about the people who work for you and making sure that they are treated, again, fairly and with respect and dignity. That's the key to putting employers in the position to weather the storm here. Thank you, Dave. Hopefully we've given our listeners something to think about, about this current environment, Gen Z, and some proactive steps that they can take in the environment that we've described. Of course, our listeners can always reach out to Dave, myself, or anyone at Littler in our traditional labor practice group for assistance and guidance in these kind of matters. Thanks for listening to ACC Chicago's It's All Hearsay. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on the recent union surge, myth or reality. Brought to you by ACC Chicago and Littler, one of our sponsors. Be sure to tune in next time as we bring you even more content. 
As always, if you like what you heard today, visit our website at www.acc.com forward slash Chicago to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources for It's All Hearsay. Like, comment, or subscribe to our podcast, and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at ACC Chicago. That's it for this episode, folks. I'm your host, Chantal Kazai. See you next time.